0: Shalom, welcome to Tanakh Study. This is Alex Israel from Alon Shavuot, Shabu And we are going to start looking this week at Parshat Lech Lecha, very excitedly opening the page on the stories of Avram Avinu, Sarah Imenu, who are going to accompany us for something like the next 13 chapters of Sefer Bereshit. Bayoma HaShem Avram, HaShem said to Avram Lech Lecha, Go forth from your land, from your birthplace, from your father's house to the land that I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing kol mishpachot adama those who bless you will be blessed those who curse you will be cursed and through you all the nations of the adama of the world will be blessed Uh, before I say anything I'd like to notice the the idea here that we have the um, repetition time after time of the word bracha we have here Ba'avaracha five times in just two psukim the word bracha and I think this is a contrast to everything we've seen so far in Sefer Breshit where so often we find there being a klala a curse and now we have blessing five times fivefold um, we have a sense that the um, that the trajectory of Sefer Breshit is changing, and that things are moving up rather than down, this is indeed good news for us. Of course, the big question that everybody asks is why we have no significant background to Avraham Avinu. Uh, we're talking about, uh, not like Noach, where we heard Noach ish tamim hayab adorotav. Noach was a righteous man, Moshe, we have all the stories of his birth and his young life before he is selected as a leader for Am Israel. Uh, other leaders like Shmuel, the prophet Samuel, Shaul, King Saul, David. Always we have backstory. What is the backstory on Avraham? Why is he chosen? Why him in particular? The Midrash Try to understand why Hashem chose Avraham. In Samidrashim we see Avraham pondering and probing the heavens to see what drives the planets, the sun and the moon. Some of you might have read the Rambam's account of this where he says everybody worships the sun, but what drives the sun? And why does the sun go away at night? Oh, if the sun goes away at night and the moon comes the moon must be the god but then the moon goes away in the morning and the sun comes out until he realizes there is a power behind them all the most famous of course is uh, the midrash about Avraham um being appointed a priest in his father's um idol factory or or, or some sort of temple and that abraham smashes all the idols and then somebody comes in and says, you know, his father comes in and says, why, why are all the idols smashed? And he says, well, the idols were fighting over the gifts that people were bringing the korban, not the people were bringing. And his father says, don't be stupid. The idols can't do anything. And then uh, Avram launches into the psukim from Halel, which talk about they have eyes but they cannot see, they have ears but they cannot hear. These Midrashim are all there to explain that in truth, God did not find Abraham, but Abraham found God. And I'd say more than that. In a sense, they are saying that Avraham had already, even before God, appealed to Avraham. Avraham had already left the mindset of Artzachah, Moladzachah, Beit He had already left the Way of thinking of his la- land, his town, his birthplace, and his family. He was just sort of waiting for God to give him the approval. Um, when Lechlacha came, Avram was like, What took you so long? You know, I've been waiting for you. And they're all trying to explain somehow that Avraham found God. But I'd like to suggest that the Pshat is different. Vayom HaShemel Avram Lecha. The first command to Avraham is, of course, Lechlcha And, um, in a sense, the last command to Avraham is also Lechelcha. As we know from the story of the Akedah, he is given a very similar command. He is told there, Also there three phrases, Getting more and more specific, just like, and also an unspecified location on one of the mountains I will show you just like here God says to him Go to the land that I will show you, but gives him doesn't give him anything specific Um Lecha, Avram is always walking even geographically, he is constantly in transit. In this week's parsha in Lech Lecha, we're going to see him move from Mesopotamia to Shechem, to Beit El, down to the Negev and then Egypt, back to Beit El, and he ends up in Hebron. Later in next week's parsha, we'll find him in Be'er Sheva, in Gerar. Always moving, never setting down roots, Constantly lechelcha, constantly in transit. And I'd say that this movement is also a movement of growth. It's a beautiful sfat emet at the beginning of the parasha, which talks about that a person is always meant to be mahalech. He's always meant to be walking, growing. Angels have one leg. They remain in place. They remain static. But human beings have the opportunity of growth. Hence, Chazal talk about Avram's 10 tests. In this case, what we're really saying is that the priest's story is not critical. The question is, what happens now? Uh, by the way, Bereshit does tell us why Avram is chosen. Later on in Perek Yud Chet, Pasuk Yud Tet, chapter 18, verse 19, we get told, I know him. I know him. Avraham is a man of stakat and mishpat, righteousness and justice, or kindness and justice. But this is exactly the point. The Tanakh waits till chapter 18 to tell us that. What we're interested in doing is watch Avraham walk into the unknown, el haaretz asher areka, and the fact that vayelech Avraham kasher diber itor Elohim. That Avram went just like God told him shows us that indeed he is walking. We've seen people walking with God before. This is going to be the story of Avram. We're interested in the way, this will be the starting point. And now we're going to see how Avram walks, how Avram grows. The Ramban even imagines him because he's told to go to the land which I will show you. But he, he doesn't have a pillar of fire and cloud before him. Avram goes to this land and said, Is it here? To the next land, is it here? Until he walks to the land of Israel, and God says to him, as we read in Pasuk uh, Zayin, Lezaracha etein et Hazot, and then he knows that this is the land. The critical thing is, Lech me u'mi That Avram has to disengage. He has to rupture all his relationships with his birthplace, with his land, with his... All the things that usually form our identity, our national identity, our town, our family, Beit Avicha. This is what forms us. It's a a huge deal. And Avram is asked to Lechelcha, to put himself adrift, adrift. I'd say even more, possibly the background that we read last week his story, his family, even a loving family, who even thought to come to to Canaan, but remained in Haran, that's part of it. He has a loving family, but he needs to separate himself. Why? Avram is going to create a new identity, a new nation, and this is going to be a, a, a blessing, even though he's going to create a separate entity. He is also going to be have an impact on humanity as a whole and amazingly enough because he is currently with a woman who we're told she has no children she is barren he's told I will make you into a goy gadol you'll be and the notion of gadol um, he will be a great nation his name will be great this is quite quite something um, alright let's you know I'll say one more word about va'agadla Shemecha we've just walked out of the story of Migdal Bavel chapter 11 who wanted to be Naselanushem. they wanted to aggrandize their name here Avram is told va'agadla Shemecha in other words put it quite simply it is not you who can make your name great but only God who can make your name great Avram is putting himself out there for God and this is Avram's beginning point so the important is not the past the importance is that this is the starting point of a great history and we're going to have to see how Avram grows through all of his experiences and how his experiences test him let's keep reading Pasuk Dalad. Avram Hashem Avram went as God had told him, Va'yelach Lot. At this point, we see Lot as being a full partner. God, uh, Lot went with him in the same way as he went in fulfillment of God's words, Va'yelach Lot. Avram ben Chamesh Shanim v'Shirim Shana, Betzei Avram was seventy-five when he left Haran. Va'yikach Avram et he took his wife Sarai, v'et lot ben Achiv, v'et koruchu shama sherachasu, v'et hanefeshashasu b'charan, v'yitzu lalechet Eretz Kanan, v'yavo Eretz Kanan. Avram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all of the possessions that they acquired, and all the slaves that acquired in Charan, and they set out for Eretz Kanan, and they came to Eretz Kanan. Notice, v'yelach Avram Kashedi beri lavashem is the fulfillment of lech and this pasuk va'yikach Avram etzarayi Ishto is the fulfillment of chapter eleven, verse thirty-one, where Terach previously had intended on going to Canaan, but hadn't made it there. As we've already mentioned, Terach went for all sorts of other reasons, but Avram is going with God's um, instruction, and that is why he makes it all the way to Canaan. Ve'avor Avram ba'aretz. Avram went into the land. Ad Mekom Shechem To Shechem Shechem was always the entrance point to the land of Canaan We find that it's the place that Avram first stops off and it's also the place where Yaakov comes to when he first comes in from Mesopotamia It was sort of a hub It was an entrance point to the land The Canaanites in the land It's already got other people in it God appears to Avraham and he says to him, To your seed I will give this land. To your offspring I will give this land. And there he builds a Mizbeach to the God who appeared to him. It's amazing. It could well be that Avraham had been wandering from place to place and that suddenly now he arrives at Shechem and, and God appears to him and says, This is the land that I will give to you. This is quite, quite something. This um, promise, L'zarachah eteine ta'aretz hazot, contains two elements, the land and the notion of offspring. And I have to say that this is the core promise that Avram is going to get, repeated over and over throughout the parsha. here in chapter 12, in chapter 13, in chapter 15 and 17, All the time, Zerah and Aretz, offspring and land. I'd like to also say, and I hope I'm not giving too much away at this stage, that this is Parsha is going to challenge this promise again and again. In the next story, we're going to see how there is a severe famine in the land. Well, what sort of a land is that? His wife is taken from him. Well, how then is he going to have Zerah? How is he going to have offspring? Then his nephew, Lot, leaves him. Maybe the man who he thought would be his Zera, his family, leaves him. In the following story, chapter 14, there's an international war in the country. What sort of a land are we dealing with? Later in the in the story, Sarah can't give him Zera, and he goes and consorts with Hagar in order to have another child, but Hagar doesn't really want to stay with the family. Again, what is going to be the status of his Zera? So this promise, this wonderful promise, to eteena hazot, is going to be thrown into question in almost every chapter of this story, and I think that is really part of the central drama of Parsha. Vaya take he's been in Shem, he's heard this prophecy and made a Mizbeach as a response. Vaya take Mi. He then moves on from there to the hill lands. Mikedem, El, on the east side of Beit El. Vayi Holo Beit El miyam v'ha'ai mi He pitches his tent with Beit El on the western side and I on the eastern side. Vayiven shamis sham Hashem. He makes another altar to God. Vayikra b'shem Hashem. And calls out in God's name Vayisa Avram haloch v'naso ahalegba. And keeps on moving to the south. What is Avram doing in these different places? We've now seen that he builds an altar in Shechem, he builds an altar in Beit El, and what is this calling out in God's name? Here I want to bring two different interpretations, or two different explanations. Rashi sees him going to these different places almost as a premonition of the future. For example, he says when we're talking about Uh, Shechem and Elom Moreh, Moreh, he says he goes there to pray for Bnei Yaakov who will later fight in Shechem in the story of Dina. He goes to visit Elom Moreh that God showed him Hargrizim and Harival where Am Yisrael would make the covenant with them um, in the time of uh, of Yehoshua. In this um, way of looking at things, Avram is a prophet and God is giving him sort of a virtual tour. He's got his Google Glasses on, he's seeing all sorts of future events at the site that he is experiencing and then somehow is a, a praying for the future, affecting the future, having some sort of vision of the future. And this is a very um, interesting view of God showing over on the land where he's very cognizant of uh, the future legacy that is going to happen to his children. I have to say that this is a lovely midrashic idea, but I don't think this is the pshat. And I'd prefer to go in the direction suggested by the Radak and the Ramban, where they claim that when he went to these places, he he is somehow trying to spread faith in God. Notice he doesn't go into the cities himself; he comes under makhon shechem. He stays outside the city, and the same thing with Beit El and I. He pitches his tent between Beit El and I. The Radak says. Um, that there, he called in the name of God. He called the inhabitants of the of the of the hill country that they should come to him Mizbeach, and he showed him, showed the people around there the misberch that he had built, and, and and exposed to them his belief in God. Um, the Ramban also suggests he came to a new place who had maybe not even heard of monotheism, and he wanted to ex- express the name of God to them and that is Vaikra Bashem Hashem um that is what he is he is doing. And uh we we really do wonder what Avram is doing in all of these places, but I think this is a, a very reasonable explanation as to why he is outside the cities, why he builds a Mizbeak in all these different places, and why he continues to travel to spread God's name, he made an altar to God. He called out in God's name. Uh, so, so this is a fascinating image about what Avram is doing in the land. We're now going to follow Avram in a situation of famine as he goes down to Egypt. There was a famine in the land. Avram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, not to dwell there, but to sojourn there for a short amount of time. Because the famine was severe, When he got close to Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know now, or now we have to take account of, the fact that you are an exceedingly beautiful woman. And when the Egyptians will see you and know that you are my wife, they're going to kill me and keep you alive. Say you are my sister. So they will be good to me on your account and will leave me alive. And we know the rest of the story. And they see that so the Egyptians see how beautiful Sarah is. Sare paro. She gets introduced to even the courtiers of Pharaoh. They praise her to Pharaoh. She's taken to Pharaoh's palace. Avram, so to speak, the brother, is given great gifts, and he gets given tsanu Livestock and donkeys and servants and maidservants and uh, mules and camels. Pharaoh is afflicted with all sorts of plagues because of Sarai. And Pharaoh says to Avram, What have you done to me? You didn't tell me she was your wife. Uh, Why did you say she was your sister? I married this woman. Take your wife and get out. Paro sent men, expelled them, his wife, and everything that he had. Quite a story. How are we going to relate to this story? I'd like to start with the approach of the Ramban, who is exceedingly critical of Avraham and his behaviour in this story, and he says, avraham mishkaga." avraham admittedly went down because of the famine, but inadvertently he sinned greatly Shehivi ta M avon." Um, he was so afraid that he'd be killed. He put his wife into a compromising situation. And he says not only was he bad to his wife. But he also didn't believe in God. He should have relied on God. That God would save him and his wife. Because God can can save in any situation. If that wasn't so bad. Lack of faith in God. And also putting his wife in a bad situation. The Ramban also accuses Avraham. Of leaving the land of Israel. He says God had told him to go to the land. Why did he leave it? And he says this was a, a, a terrible, terrible sin. And then the Ramban goes even further and says, look at this story. This story seems to echo the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, or, or, or the, I should rather say the slavery in Egypt and the redemption from it. I mean, think about it. Just like Avram goes down to Egypt because of a famine, so the people of Israel go down to Egypt because of the famine. We all remember the killing of the children. Avram says, you'll kill me and they'll leave them alive. You'll leave Sarah alive. But we all remember the line in Egypt, in Benhu in Bati v'chaya, they killed the men, they left the women alive. Um, we've got the idea here, that God afflicted Pharaoh with great negaim. And we have in chapter 11 of Shemot, Od nega echad avi alparo. The plagues are called negaim, so very similar. Of course, uh, Pharaoh summons Avram just like Pharaoh summons Moshe and Aaron, and tells them, get out and gives gifts, just like the Israelites took gifts from the Egyptians. And uh, in fact, he throws them out just like later we'll see how the Egyptians. Um, they expel the Israelites. And of course Avram travels from there back to the Promised Land just like Am Israel. What, is what is the nature of this parallel between um, the Itiat Mitzrayim and this story of Avraham? The Ramban has an answer here. And the Ramban says that in some way the enslavement in Egypt is a punishment for what Avram did. Uh Avraham is uh, sort of the progenitor, Maase Avot Simanabanim, what the forefathers do, the um the children follow, and that somehow if we might say that this reflection of Yitziat Mitzrayim, of or I should rather say the slavery in Egypt says the Ramban Nigzar al Mitzrayim, because of this. Abraham did that's why we went into slavery in Egypt and everything follows suit now in our next class we are going to challenge this reading greatly and I'm going to give a completely different explanation I'm going to agree with the parallel with Yitiat Mitraim but I'm but this critical reading this is not the only um, one of our Rishonim who is critical maybe the most extreme critical reading of, uh, that we can find is that uh, when uh, when when Avram turns around and he says, um, he says, "Iminah mm-hmm. say you are my sister, leman gitavli ba'avurech, so that they will be good to me." How does Avram say it? Uh, how does Rashi interpret Avram? In other words, I want to get rich in Egypt. The best way to do it is we're going to do a sort of a ruse. We're going to pretend you're my sister. Then I, you'll get taken to the palace. They'll give, make me wealthy. And, you know, then we'll get out of there somehow. This is my way of getting wealthy. This is what Rashi's comment indicates. And this reflects terribly on Avram. Avram is just using his wife as a means of income. Can we imagine such a thing? I'm going to challenge this entire reading in our next class but in the meantime I'd like to leave us with the Ramban's reading because I think there is one very important comment that needs to come from it. And you know there are many people who never believe that we can say a bad word about any of our biblical characters. You've probably heard of the frequently quoted Gemara on Shabbat which says for example that even though we know about the sin between David and Bathsheba that David, David, of course, couldn't have you know, taken another man's wife, so you must be making a mistake or the same thing with other biblical characters that even though the text tells us they made a mistake they didn't. And here I'd like to finish today by quoting a fascinating passage from the commentary of Rabbi Shemshun Raphael Hirsch, by Samson Ravel Hirsch, the 19th century German commentator who reads this Ramban where the Ramban says Chata Avraham Avinu Adol Bishkaga that Avram committed a great sin in his behaviour towards his wife and deserting the land. And even though that it was inadvertent, he chata Avraham Avinu Adol. and this is what he says. And I quote The Torah never presents our great men as being perfect. It deifies no man, says of none here you have the ideal, in this man the divine became human. I think he's having a dig at Christianity there. Altogether it puts the life of no man before us as the pattern out of which we are to learn what is right and good and what we have to do, what ref- what to refrain from doing. Where the word of God was set a pattern before us, for us to in- imitate, it places no man born of dust. There God says, look at me, imitate me, wander in my may- ways. That's what God says. But we're never to say, this must be right, for did not so-and-so do it. The Torah is no collection of example of saints. It relates what occurred, because it did occur. The Torah never hides from us the faults, errors, and weaknesses of our great men. Just by that it gives the stamp of veracity to what it relates. In truth, by the knowledge which is given us of their faults and weaknesses, our great men are no ways made lesser, but are actually greater and more instructive. If they stood before us as the purest models of perfection, we should attribute them as having a different nature, which has been denied to us. Were they without passion, without internal struggles, their virtues would seem to us the outcome of some higher nature, hardly a merit and certainly no model that we could hope to emulate. Take, for example, Moses' humility. Did we not know that he could also fly into a passion? His meekness and modesty would seem to us just an inborn natural disposition, and lost to us an example but just his anger at the rock, shimu nahamorim, listen you rebels, gives his humility its true greatness, shows us to us that it is the result of a great work of self-control and self-ennoblement, which we should all copy because we all could copy. The Torah also shows us no faults without at the same time letting us see the greater or lesser evil consequences. I think this is a very important statement in general and uh, even though I'm going to disagree next time with the Rambans reading, I'd like the uh, the educational message that Rav brings very, very important, that there is a possibility and it is legitimate in certain situa- situations to see the fo- flaws of Arabot so that we can learn from them. And uh, this way, we actually see them as more human, but also as a greater role model. Thank you for listening. Next time we'll pick up this story from a different vantage point.